0: Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP, Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas. For your listening edification, today is Saturday, November the 12th, 2022. This show will be rebroadcast on Monday, November the 14th, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 132nd post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned, but first in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome, this is Bringing Light Into Darkness, Monday news and analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos. Thanks for joining us. We have a sensational show tonight as quite frankly, we have every Monday night If your interest is to get as close to the truth as any news and analysis show will allow you, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness, where we invite you to join in our weekly pursuit for social justice. A pursuit where we seek to separate fact from fiction and where we acknowledge uncertainty, where we seek to deconstruct deceit by identifying where unproven allegations are presented as fact through repetition in the absence of evidence and where uncertainties are approached from a humble, critical thinking perspective because our interest is in deconstructing deceit and oppression, not enabling it. Tonight, we go back to some issues connected to promoting unfairness and wealth inequality in our pursuit to connect some dots to a more accurate geopolitical analysis of the world we find ourselves in today. Enjoy. Welcome, Alternative News fans. This is 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness. This is your host, Pedro Gatos. Today is November 12th, just one day after Veterans Day. And This show will be aired live on Monday, November the 14th, 2022. Every year on Veterans Day, we try to focus our attention on the prevention of war and what causes it. We are told that our foreign policy is primarily geared towards promoting democracy throughout the world, but we are never told about the influence of profitability and war for certain sectors of our economy. Therefore, it would behoove us all to read War is a Racket, as General Smedley Butler warned us in, back in his 1935 pamphlet, War is a Racket. Today, wanted to start to show off with the truism, it seems. There's a bumper sticker that I think captures the truth of our foreign policy. It reads, U.S. foreign policy is a bomb. According to an article back in April the 12th, 2022, by Aditi Razwami and Andrew Perez in the Lever News, Since the start of the Ukraine crisis, U.S. defense stocks in leading companies like Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, and Lockheed Martin have surged, and they are expected to continue rising in the coming months. And in the wake of Russia's invasion, President Biden signed into law a spending package that directs a record-breaking $782 billion towards defense. And when you look at the spending associated with Afghanistan war that recently we withdrew from in, in 2021, Pentagon spending, according to a report by the Cost of War out of Brown University entitled Profits of War, Corporate Beneficiaries of the post 9 11 Pentagon Spending Surge, writes, the Pentagon spending has totaled over $14 trillion since the start of the war in Afghanistan, with one-third to one-half of the total going to military contractors. A large portion of these contracts, one quarter to one third of all Pentagon contracts in recent years, has gone to just five major corporations, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, General Dynamics, Raytheon, and Northrop Grumman. The $75 billion in Pentagon contracts received by Lockheed Martin in fiscal year 2020, one year alone, is an extraordinary amount. Meanwhile, the article goes on to share that weapons makers have spent $2.5 billion on lobbying over the past two decades, employing on average over 700 lobbyists per year over the past five years. That is more than one for every member of Congress. At the same time, numerous companies took advantage of wartime conditions which require speed of delivery and often involve less rigorous oversight to overcharge the government or engage in outright fraud. In 2011, the Commission on Wartime Contracting in Iraq and Afghanistan estimated that waste, fraud, and abuse had totaled between 31 billion and 60 billion dollars. But let's step back from the issue of fraud for the moment and reflect back on the issue of the revolving door between defense contractors and retired generals. There is a group called Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington crew that did a piece back in 2012 that revealed the extent of the Pentagon's revolving door. Now, they indicated that between 2009 and 2011, about 70% of retired generals and admirals went to work for the defense contractors and defense consultants. And many of these consultants and many of these same generals and retired Pentagon employees with direct ties to the defense industry are then hired to become analysts and experts regarding foreign policy and issues of war in our major medias that influence our perceptions of what is right and wrong in our foreign policy. Yet we are never properly informed of this influence and compromise of these so-called experts. And it is this fact which makes it incontrovertibly unethical. What follows is an excerpt from a show on bringing light into darkness back on November the 15th, 2012, in which we featured a piece on the revolving door of the military and corporate world. Take a listen.
1: CREW, or Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, has revealed the extent of the Pentagon's revolving door. The report states, between 2009 and 2011, about 70% of retired generals and admirals went to work for defense contractors and defense consultants.
0: The next voice you'll hear is Joe Serencione, the president of Plowshares Fund. Since 1981, Ploughshares Fund has led and supported a community of experts, advocates, and analysts to implement smart strategies to seek the peace and security of a world without nuclear weapons. Here's Joe Cerencioni.
2: Dozens and dozens go from important government positions where they were making, say, $125,000 a year into contractor jobs where they are making $500,000, $800,000, a million dollars a year working for the very contractors they were supposed to oversee.
1: An example of the revolving door is Lieutenant General David Deptula, who was the Deputy Chief for Intelligence, Surveillance and Reconnaissance for the Air Force. He retired in October of 2010 and just a few months later he joined defense contractor MAV-6. He became its new chief executive. A few months after Deptula joined MAV-6, the company announced an $86 million contract to develop a new unmanned airship over at the Air Force.
0: Here is Melanie Sloan, Executive Director of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington.
1: Generals can go and then cash out and go sit on, say, five different boards and they can be paid almost uh, $200,000 a pop on each of those boards, maybe to appear at two board meetings a year.
0: The next two voices you'll hear are from William Hartung, Center for International Policy, followed again by William Cerencioni on lobbying and lobbyists.
2: Well, the lobbying force of these companies is unbelievable. I mean, they have a thousand lobbyists or more. Uh... About two for every member of Congress. I remember when a a lobbyist took me out to lunch uh, when I was on the Armed Services Committee staff. This is a former Army Colonel now working for a defense contractor and he told me there was a lot of people who would pay a lot of money for what I knew. What I knew was how a bill becomes a law, really, how you get it through the committees, what, what members interests were. You can take that knowledge and sell it and you can make a lot of money on it.
0: Again, Melanie Sloan, Executive Director, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics.
1: The profits of these companies, they're massive, and their top executives are paid huge dollar figures, uh, and it's really, they're being paid with our tax dollars. The dangers lurking behind the revolving door problem are that folks are there to further their own financial interests rather than our public interests.
0: The next two voices are Brian Bender, National Security Correspondent for the Boston Globe, followed again by Melanie Sloan.
2: Where those laws kind of miss the boat is this growing industry of consulting.
1: Generals, for example, might not want to be seen as being lobbyists, but they'll be consultants. And again... Generals have such a high profile and they're held in such high esteem that when a general calls on a member of Congress, they're going to take him more seriously than they are other folks. So money spent on these kinds of consultants and people like this bring a huge rate of return to the company.
2: The people we're paying to oversee our taxpayer dollars cannot ever go to work for the people they're overseeing.
1: The average citizen concerned about the amount of money going into defense contractors' pocket should really look hard at the kind of decisions their member of Congress is making.
2: We have to meet with them within our districts, we have to write letters to the paper, any tool we can think of because of the amount of power we're up against.
0: Here are some facts regarding the potential conflict of interest, conflict of ethics, and the behind the scene reality regarding how such great profiteering potential is constructed. According to WarCost.com, Lockheed spent seventy four point two three million on lobbyists since two thousand seven to two thousand twelve. Pentagon spent thirty five point seven six billion on Lockheed Martin contracts in two thousand eleven alone. Boeing spends 86.93 million on lobbyists since 2007 again through 2012. Pentagon spent 20.5 billion on Boeing services in 2011 alone. General Dynamics spent 53 million on lobbyists since 2007 to, to the article date 2012. Pentagon spent 17.98 billion on General Dynamics contracts in 2011 alone. Raytheon spent thirty six point eight four million on lobbyists since two thousand seven. Pentagon spent thirteen point five seven billion on Raytheon contracts in two thousand eleven alone. Northrop Grumman spent eighty three point eight five million on lobbyists since two thousand seven to two thousand twelve article date. Pentagon spent 11.88 billion on Northrop Grumman contracts in 2011 alone. You can see the full report if you want. You can go to citizensforethics.org/generals for the 2012 report.
1: The revolving door problem isn't going away anytime soon. So clearly we need some new laws to address these problems. Regular people need to say, "Hey, we care about the revolving door and we want to see it shut."
0: So the Citizens Activist Group ends the clip with the sound advice and the sound warning that we need changes in legislation, but at the same time warns us, however, they likely will not come soon. In fact, I wanted to pivot at this point to another leg of the chair, so to speak, that supports this incredible wealth disparity we have in our country. And that is the control of legislation, that having this extraordinary wealth affords this this elite, this one-tenth of one percent of the most economic elite of our nation. One example is through a corporate interest group called ALEC, American Legislative Exchange Council. With that in mind, the following is excerpt from an August 1st, 2011 Bringing Light Into Darkness show featuring the reporting of Mary Tuma, who at the time was writing for the news website, Texas Independent. Here is an excerpt from that show, in which Mary Tuma brings light into the darkness surrounding the Alec group. Again, this is from a Bringing Light into Darkness episode of August the 1st, 2011. Anyhow, we're going to move on, and I want to again share with you, Mary Tuma is a a writer. She's been with the website, the Texas Independent, which is a nonprofit political news website, and she wrote a really interesting article and what's scary about it and we're going to ask her to update us on it is it kind of looks at how democracy is at work, so to speak. We call it one thing, but what really goes on is something else. But Mary, do you mind giving us a, a little bit of update on this American Legislative Exchange Council that you reported on this past week?
3: Sure, sure, absolutely. And thanks again for having me. Um, well, last month, the Nation magazine and the Center for Media and Democracy had released a trove of documents from inside the American Legislative Executive Council, or ALEC, as it's called, an influential corporate and state lawmaker collaborator corporation. The coalition of thousands of political representatives in major corporations like Pfizer, Walmart, Koch Industries, or Coke, depending on who you ask, drafts legislation that is introduced in state houses with no indication that the bills were crafted with the aid of corporations that stand to gain. The leak was made possible by an activist whistleblower, and it brings to light 800 draft bills. Many of these bills may not be identical to ones found passing through a state house, but the origins can be traced back to ALEC. The powerful anti-union, pro-privatization, free market, and limited government organization has said it helps shepherd more than 1,000 corporate sponsored bills introduced by legislative members every year, with one in five enacted into law. Well, so how is that relevant to Texas? The records show that Texas Governor Rick Perry was not only a member of the controversial group, but is the recipient of more than $2 million in campaign contributions from ALEC corporate members from 2004 to 2011.
0: And, and before you go into that part, let's, let's talk just a little bit about what you just went over, which was sure. fascinating. What you're suggesting is that there is model legislation put together by not the people that we elect, but by corporate representatives that are then passed on through elected officials and elected bodies in such a way as to hide this fact that it was actually created by uh, these, these corporate interests. So it really shows very clearly what the influence of money and wealth can have on a democracy when it starts taking these types of uh, forms. And I'm sure this is something that's been going on forever. You hear the same thing at the national level, by the way. We'll visit that again in the future. But here you're talking specifically about um, state legislatures. Is that correct?
3: That's right, yes. Yeah,
0: so anyhow, that's just unbelievable to me that you said out of a th- that there's like been a 1,000 that's been pushed forward and they have a, a success rate of about 20%. Right. So like 200 <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. I just want to no, absolutely. highlight That's that point.
3: Corporate influence, right? And I was just kind of explaining how, you know, it's relevant to Texas. Um, and our governor has been the recipient of $2 million in campaign contributions from them from 04 to 2011, which is the most any candidate has received in the decade analyzed. And that was reported by the National Institute for Money and State Politics and Texas Watchdog. It's also noted Perry's not the, alone in pocketing this money. Um, the National Institute for Money and State Politics also found candidates in Texas have received more than $3.8 million from the group's corporate members since 1990, or 30 $30 of the group's total contributions, which was well above the not even a million received by candidates in California, which uh, came in second. So with Texas leading the way in these contributions, the question becomes, has their model legislation seep into our state? There's a lot to parse through, but taking a look at one specific subject, higher education model bills, it appears there are some echoes of what have been called the seven breakthrough solutions during the higher education reform debate in Texas, including things like prioritizing degree completion rates, increasing faculty transparency, and questioning state spending on research. So even more specifically, for instance, um, a model resolution calling for greater productivity in American higher education suggests increasing and rewarding completion rates, indicating the legislator should begin setting aside a significant portion of its higher education budget to reward institutions for students who complete courses and graduate in greater numbers at lower per unit expense. In many ways, um, that mirrors legislation author this session and signed into law by Perry last month, which alters the way public colleges and universities receive state funding by factoring and degree completion rates in addition to enrollment rates. It's sort of an outcomes-based funding model, and it, it has come under fire by the Texas Faculty Association, who argued that the graduation rate focus could limit enrollment to only those students most likely to finish with a degree, while forcing faculty to water down courses and academic rigor. Additionally, the bill also aligns with legislative recommendations set forth by the conservative think tank, the Public Policy Foundation, and by a specially formed committee with financial and professional ties to Perry. And just sort to of top it off, off um, additionally, a, a leading critic of the University of Texas faculty productivity, Ohio University economics professor Richard Vetter sits on the ALEC Board of Scholars and is a senior fellow at TPPF, roles which indicate perhaps, you know, an even more telling influence by ALEC. And so there are, you know, several other interesting connections that can be made and will be explored in in further weeks to come.
0: Yeah, the saying that when you have such disproportionate wealth, right, there's some people that really, really benefit from that. And those interests that benefit from that, people just don't appreciate how everything else is influenced by that influence. And as you said, this model legislation you right. know, is just one very, very important example. The article that you cited, or The Nation, I guess, John Nichols, I, I presume, mm-hmm. was one of the main. He, he's a political reporter for The Nation. I think he was the one responsible for doing some of that work. But thought it was interesting. He was on NPR, and he was telling Terry Gross— He said all of those pieces of legislation and those resolutions really move toward a goal, he he said. And that goal is the advancement of an agenda that seems to be dictated at almost every turn by multinational corporations. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he goes on, quote, It's to clear the way for lower taxes, less regulation, a lot of protection against lawsuits. And Alec is very, very active in the opening up of areas via privatization for corporations to make more money, particularly in places you might not usually expect, like, as you mentioned, public education. And the reason I wanted to highlight that is that's how I would like to report and frame this debt ceiling deal that just went down. You know, you can just read that almost word for word. Lower taxes, less regulation, a lot of protection against lawsuits for who? For those that should be sued that steal from people legally i might add and opening up more and more areas for through privatization Social Security's down, you know, they got that they got that under their sights down the road or whatever. And it's just a it's a tragedy that our president felt he had to succumb and continue to compromise to what appears to be the resolution that was reached today. But this deal just really came to the public view you're you're indicating then in July then, right? This 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 is when this the whistle there was some kind of whistleblower that releases yes. these can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, I mean the, the organization itself has been in existence since the '70s. Um, it's it's nothing new. But the whistleblower, the activist whistleblower, had released these documents and had been um, you know obtained by the Nation and the Center for Media and Democracy and had been and is made available on AlecExposed.org, which is open to the public. You know anyone can go to it and you know look for themselves and do their own investigations. Um, so yeah, it's it's light's been shed on it recently, but it's it's been it's organization that isn't
0: new. And you said AlecExposed.org, that'd be A-L-E-C-Exposed.org. Yeah. Yes. Okay, and, and there's a whole little treasure trove of different areas in which this legislation, model legislation, is percolated from. And, and I might just add, I think, of course, Perry and, of course, Texas, it, it is ironic I keep forgetting to bring in those statistics about Texas as a state relative (laughs) to other states. It is so dismal, Mary. It's unbelievable Mm -hmm. in education and all this stuff. And you can see why. You know, you can see why by just the very things that you're reporting here about that the priority is not education. The priority is not making uh, the state serve the vast amount of unserved needs for the populations (laughs) of Texas. And the result is shown in these statistics that uh, anybody can really access with respect to how does Texas rank on all the major indices uh, relative to the other states. But also, it's not just Perry, you know, it Mm -hmm. is Democrats, Republicans, Mm -hmm. and all that. And so even though Mm -hmm. it's been fairly egregious here, I do think that's also important. And the final thing I wanted to just say is that there's other ways of sabotaging good legislation, like the banking reform. Right. What happened in the House and, and, and ultimately is they went ahead and made sure that it was not funded. So the stuff that folks like Spitzer thought were really important with respect to the regulations and all that stuff, yeah, we passed it. Now you have to do it. Now here's the enforcement arm of it, and it needs this much money. Well, guess what? They didn't get the money. So when you hear things like there's reforms going on, you have to be very careful to really see if, in fact, they have any teeth or any, any ability to even to fulfill their mandate and stuff. So all that stuff is also kind of below the radar as well. Right. I wanted to, Mary, if you would, just putting this piece together and doing the research for it, what would you say are some of the major impressions that you'd like to leave with the audience regarding the American Legislative Exchange Council, the ALEC piece that you just completed on July 29th?
3: Yeah, really, I think the takeaway is um, it's really indicative, I think, of just the overall pushed by corporations to influence the political sphere. We've, and in tandem with lax regulation in campaign finance, that so we saw a citizen denied it. And essentially, you know, money is free speech. There's, the government's prohibited from banning political spending by corporations in candidate elections. And, you know, all of that's just sort of scary, and it's something that we all need to take into account. It crosses partisan lines and is really something we should all just be aware of.
0: Hey there, co-op listeners. We need to take a quick pause for the cause. This is 91.7 K-O-O-P Hornsby, Austin. This is bringing light into darkness and we'll be back right after a flash. So don't touch that dial.